Jeremiah chapter 9. This is God speaking in this passage I'm going to read. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for travellers so that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a crowd of unfaithful people. They make ready their tongue like a bow to shoot lies. It is not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They do not acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Beware of your friends. Do not trust anyone in your clan, for every one of them is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friend deceives friend, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. See, I will refine and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With their mouths, they all speak cordially to their neighbours, but in their hearts, they set traps for them. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we um, look at that reading again together and think about the ninth commandment, uh, let's take uh, a few minutes just to test ourselves again on the Ten Commandments so far. So again, like last week, just turn to the person next to you, see how many of the Ten Commandments you can remember. You've got 30 seconds. Let's go. Did I hear that someone's got up to 16 over here? (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, um, but see if you can help me as we work through them. So the Ten Commandments begin by God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First command, you shall have no other gods before me. What's the second command? You shall not make for yourself any image. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Can anyone remember the fourth? The Sabbath, brilliant. Um, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Fifth, my favorite one, honor your father and your mother. Uh, Number six, do not murder. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And then you shall not steal. And then number nine, which we're on today, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And we'll come on to the 10th and final commandments. Um, next week, God willing. So as we look at those last few, um, I think these last few weeks, you might be able to think, well, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, and I don't steal. Um, As we've seen these last few weeks, actually, we've looked at our heart attitudes and seen how we're all guilty of going some way down those roads, even if we've not got to the act of murder or the act of adultery um, or stealing themselves. 
Uh, but hopefully most of us stop short of the worst of those acts. But as we come to the ninth commandment, I suspect even the best of us will struggle to justify ourselves. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. That's what we're looking at today. It's the language of the law court. Now, I guess some of us might be called as witnesses against a neighbour in court. Can I ask you just to turn me down a little bit? Thank you very much. I'm echoing in my own ears. No one wants that. Um, So it's just possible that some of us might be asked to, to take the witness stand in court kind of formally speaking, but more likely, um, we're going to influence other people's reputations in the court of popular opinion. In many ways, that's just as important to us. In ancient times, the judgments of the elders were handed down at the city gates. Well, today, maybe it's not so much at the city gates as at the school gates, or around the office water cooler, or most likely of all, in the virtual court that we call Facebook or Twitter or WhatsApp groups. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You'll see that there's a little outline as usual on the inside of the service sheet and you'll see that I've put there that same little cycle that we saw last week of the three steps that we go through of how the Old Testament laws of Moses work. The first role of God's laws, in particular the Ten Commandments, is to convict us of our sin. The law shows us our hearts, and in this case, the Ninth Commandment particularly, it shows us that we are slanderers at heart. We speak false testimony against others. The Ten Commandments can be grouped uh, in the first half into love God and the second half love your neighbour. In the first half, the third commandment says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It's about God's reputation. Today's commandment is about the reputation of our neighbours. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. And Jeremiah chapter 9 helps to sort of unpick, I think, the different ways that we might do that. So look down at it again. It's page 767 in the church Bibles. It's written maybe 600 years before Christ. But I wonder whether you can recognise the way we tend to treat each other in today's world. Look down at verse 3, for example. God says, They make ready their tongue like a bow to shoot lies. It's not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They do not acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Beware of your friends. Do not trust anyone in your clan or among your Facebook friends or on Twitter. For every one of them is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friend deceives friend and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. And then down in verse 8, I think this verse was written for the kind of polite British British middle class person. Verse 8, their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With their mouths, they all speak cordially to their neighbours. They're very polite. They're very friendly to their faces, but in their hearts, they set traps for them. Know anyone like that? 
ever been like that yourself? I'm sure I have. God says twice in these verses that the toxic relationships between individuals stem from their refusal to acknowledge him. Everything seems to hinge on getting one up on your neighbour without any reference to the true gods whose verdict is the only one that really matters. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Whether it's being openly harsh with someone or whether we're being more polite to someone's face but still trying to do them down more subtly. Why do we do it? We do it, I think, to try to make ourselves look better. It's a kind of brand management, reputation management, online as well as in person. Sometimes it's glory stealing. We, um, we, we twist the truth uh, to try and take the credit for someone else's achievements. More often, I think, it's, it's blame shifting. I think the times when I catch myself subtly doing down someone else, it's usually because I've been caught out in some way, I'm embarrassed, and I want to shift the blame onto someone else. That's what happens in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? When Adam and Eve were caught out, they both tried to shift the blame. Do you remember? Adam said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. It was Eve's fault, he says, or even it was God's fault for giving him Eve. And Eve herself says, the snake deceived me. Any of us who have children or work with children will see the same thing between them. He hit me first. No, it, it was her who started it and so on. I've often had to act as judge between false witnesses. It's not just glory stealing or blame shifting. More generally, we think that if we draw attention to other people's faults, other people's mistakes, we might look a bit better by comparison. Not only are we ourselves innocent of the faults of that other person, but we're morally clear-minded enough to spot their faults. And all of this just exposes the rivalries of our hearts, doesn't it? If we fail to acknowledge the Lord and we get our sense of identity and worth uh, from other places other than from him, we're going to be subject to the blowing to and fro of our reputation in the eyes of others and the temptation, therefore, to massage our reputation at the expense of others. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world if we take God out of the picture. And the temptation to massage our reputation will be powerful. We only have to look at the claims and counterclaims of the conflicts in Ukraine and in Gaza to be reminded of the old saying, truth is the first casualty of war. It's only what's to be expected, actually, if there's no gods. The prominent atheist, the late Christopher Hitchens, he once uh, lied to his brother Peter that he had been adopted. And he was honest enough to explain, when it's a matter of survival, he says, I'm not to be trusted. I'm very ruthless. But why wouldn't you be if there's no gods? If everything depended on your reputation with others here and now? 
is what the Apostle Paul told us to expect in Romans chapter 1. He says that mankind has exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and he goes on to describe everyone who follows that way. He says, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've been filled, become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless. And the word Christopher Hitchens used to describe himself ruthless. The law shows us our hearts. We're slanderers. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. The law shows us God's goodness. Jesus is gracious. The lie of the serpent was that God is not good. Actually, Christopher Hitchens echoed it in the title of one of his books, God is Not Great. But the Lord Jesus disproved that claim once for all when he went to the cross. He revealed that it's humanity who are the liars and the slanderers. Mark's Gospel tells us how they broke the ninth commandment at Jesus' trial. He says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many tested, um, testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. It's not God who's not good. The religious leaders of God's own people testified falsely against him. And they recruited people specifically to tell lies about him, to get him dead, to get him killed. Jesus, though, was the willing victim of their lies their false testimony. Mark tells us that he was silent and gave no answer. And then he went to the cross as a willing substitute for deceitful, slandering humanity. His blessing for all who would accept it was to wipe away all of our guilt and shame for all those of us who speak falsely, who accuse our neighbour, the one who had done nothing wrong, died in the place of the guilty. And not only that, when he took our shame at the cross, he shared his glory with us who are so undeserving. The opposite of trashing your neighbour's reputation is to lift them up and to show them undeserved honour. And that's what Jesus graciously offers to us if we're willing to accept it. Have you done that? Can you do it today? 
We're working our way through that cycle on the handout. The law shows us our hearts. We're slanderous. The law shows God's goodness. Jesus is gracious. And it's only then when we accept the grace of Jesus that we find we're able to start to live a new life. The law shows us how to live. We must honour one another. Now, when I've spoken on the ninth commandment before, I said that the opposite of false testimony against our neighbour is truth-telling. And we looked at the whole principle of speaking the truth in love. And I think that's an important emphasis of scripture. I'd encourage you to look at Ephesians chapter four if you have a chance afterwards. I've put the verses um, on the handout. But actually, I think we can go further than speaking the truth in love. We need to honour one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, honour one another above yourselves. A more literal translation says, outdo one another in showing honour. It's the only competition that we're encouraged to do, to take part in in the New Testament. To outdo one another in what? In showing honour. Sadly, many churches can be hotbeds of gossip and backbiting. Now, I'm grateful that that generally isn't true here at St Anne's. But can we go further in pursuing this beautiful picture of outdoing one another in showing honour, a Christ-like desire to lift one another up? It's not soft soap. We do still have that responsibility to speak the truth in love. That sometimes will mean hard conversations that we need to have. But can we also work hard to spot things that we can encourage? Our hard conversations will be all the more effective if it's in the context of loving relationships and attractive community. You see, we're free to show honour to one another because Christ has lavished honour on us. Again, this little cycle is important. It's only once we ourselves have had all our guilt and shame brought home to us and then removed and washed clean through Christ on the cross and received the undeserved honour of being called his brothers and sisters that we can then have the security and the grace to be able to honour one another. We're in competition no longer. The gospel is not try to be nicer. The gospel is receive the free gift of Jesus Christ crucified. And then we must live accordingly. Remember the illustration last week of the chocolate topped mountain. I know that some of you were quite taken with the idea of a chocolate topped mountain. If we have to climb our own way up the mountain to reach a limited supply at the very top, we'll have every incentive to do down our rivals, to undermine them, to look for every reason to speak ill of them. That's the dog-eat-dog worlds that we live in. But by contrast, if the chocolate is flowing down towards us in abundant supply, we can freely and generously give to others. 
We can lift one another up. We can enjoy the blessings together. We're not rivals anymore. We're, we're fellow revelers in the shared story of abundance. So when we gather together like this on a Sunday and in our small groups and at other times, what opportunities do we have? Not to do others down, not to find fault, but to affirm and encourage. Just take a moment to look around you now. I know you hate doing this, don't you? Just look around, just turn around and look at the other people here. Look at your brothers and sisters and just think, what is there here that I can encourage and honour and affirm? Wouldn't it be great if our conversations afterwards were all about, I thank God for you because I'm so grateful that you show this characteristic, that you've done this, that you've blessed me in this way, that you're a model to me in this way. I don't mean being fake, but I mean generously and genuinely looking for good in one another. Who can you encourage? Wouldn't it be beautiful if we were a community of honouring others, where there's no backbiting, no snide remarks, no harsh criticism, but a genuinely affirming environment of love. Well, it's in our power to do that as the forgiven and honoured people of God. Let's pray for that now, shall we? Let's pray. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Instead, outdo one another in showing honour. Our Father, the Gospel ethic is such a contrast to the way of this world. We thank you and praise you that the Lord Jesus turned around the flow of history. He turned around the instincts of our hearts when he accepted the false testimony of others to go to the cross for us, the undeserving, and to lift us up in the honour that we could never earn. Our Father, please, will you show us where we're guilty of doing others down, of maybe subtly and politely trying to highlight the flaws of others. Father, instead, make our church family and every community, Christian community a family of love and encouragement and truth-telling and honour. We pray this in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen.